So we pick up uh, after all that. I know that was a little bit of a long-winded thing, but uh, just to kind of set where we are and how we got here. Next week, I promise I won't go through all that again and get us there. I say that, but I might. So, but, uh, so the, the, we have the setting here. So verse 11 in, in Exodus chapter 2 says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. When he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren, so he looked this way and that, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses, it says, backing up to verse 11, says in those days when he had grown, um, Moses uh, is 40 years old at this point. If you look at Acts chapter 7, verse 23, it says that at 40 years old, uh, this is when uh, this occurred. So for 40 years, he had been grown as uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he had been groomed in the Egyptian culture, taught. So very, very smart man, uh, very well-dressed, uh, no doubt a very good-looking guy. Uh, they would have done everything. They did weird stuff with makeup and head shavings and weird things uh, with, their, with their hair if they didn't shave it and if they did and all those things. So no doubt um, he had been brought up in the Egyptian culture and had grown. So for 40 years, he had that had been his culture. But he knew his story. He knew, uh, and, and he had, uh, as he grew, had, had grown, he was aware that he was a Hebrew. So what we see here is that uh, he, uh, he went out to his brethren and looked on their burdens. He looked at their burdens. He saw them being oppressed, and, and it moved him in his heart. And uh, it, it, we see here that uh, even though Moses was in this culture, when he saw uh, the Hebrew people, uh, he, uh, his heart was stirred and he never forgot you know, where he had actually come from and what, you know, that he had Hebrew blood. That he was a Hebrew, but he was adopted into uh, an Egyptian family. So uh, what we see here and what you're going to see popping up here is Hebrews 11, verse uh, 23 through 27. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So we see when, when Hebrews is, is kind of painting that picture, if, if, you, if you look at it, there's a, a coloring of the, of the picture that's, that's being outlined for us in Exodus. We see that he just grew up, and and then if you look into Hebrews and you look into Act, Hebrews 11 and Acts 7, you, it, it, it kind of fills it in. You know, that color by number, I used to love those things because I'm not creative, right? And it would tell me what color to color, right? That's what we see happening here, those things filling those things in, and we get a little better, better glimpse of what's happening here. So we refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25 of Hebrews 11 says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him uh, who is invisible. So that kind of, doesn't that paint a little bit more, add some color to what we're reading here, of what was going on in Moses' heart when he saw this happening. That he had made a choice. I'm, no, this, this is all fake. I'm not part of this. I'm actually part of them. And when he goes out to see what the, the affliction, he sees what's happening, and he sees this Egyptian beating this Hebrew. 
he, uh, you know, he looks upon the, you know, what's happening here, the severe and heavy burdens of his people, and he's moved. And it says that that Moses looked this way and that. All right, now that's that's uh, quite. Moses is writing this. Moses wrote the first five books of of the Bible, so he's writing about himself in the third person as the Holy Spirit led him to. This is tough, right? You know, but I like the commentary he gives on himself. He says that he looked this way and that. You know, he had reason to do what he did. He's trying to protect somebody, but his actions and looking, you know, this way and that, and then hiding the body would indicate that he had something going on in his conscience that he shouldn't have done this, right? And uh, and then, he, he, of course, he buries the body. He looks left and right, does it, then buries the body. And when do we ever hide something? When our conscience is hitting us, right? Um, so... Um, he uh, he didn't want it to be discovered, and uh, you know when we've thought about things, you know what, what are we gonna do? Is anybody looking? Right? You can always tell, right? You guys ever been in the store and watch somebody steal something? You ever been there? Right? I did it as a kid. Right? I thought it was so smooth, and then uh, you know Tozier's Variety and Bucksport calls my dad. You know my brother and I are down there. We're like quietly, and this is me confessing my sin live to you, and you know, but. Uh, uh, they were so gracious about it, and they called our dad, but I would back up to the thing, and I'd grab whatever I wanted, and I'd put it in my pocket, thinking I'm being smooth, and they're, you know, they're just sitting there like, look at this kid, right? And uh, and uh, my dad addressed it. I know you guys have been stealing. You better stop it. And we knew, you know, my dad, he, he had some power in that hand when we needed a spanking, right? And that's all we needed to know. My brother and I were like, okay, you know, we're done. But it was obvious, right? It's obvious when we're doing something. I wasn't even smart enough to look around. I was probably like, Eight, I don't know, but uh, I knew, and I still remember doing it. I still remember backing into that. I knew that I was doing wrong, right? When we know something is, when our conscience is 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 being pricked, right? As we're gonna look, we'll see what's happening. If we're doing that, don't do whatever we're whatever's going on. Listen to the voice of the Lord speaking to us and say, "I'm not gonna do that." I know that's what I set out to do. I'm not gonna do that. Doing that and walking away is much better than being embarrassed, right? Being dragged in. You've seen it probably at Walmart, right? You see the person getting dragged in and cops are coming in, right? It's just not worth it. You know, the scriptures tell us don't don't steal. Don't steal. You know, just those things. But when we know we're going to do something we probably shouldn't do, we're looking this way and that. You know, so uh, as things are happening here in, in Moses, uh, in front of his eyes, this is what he does. He looks this way and that. Then kills the Egyptian. No doubt had been trained, um, uh, you know, uh, in... Uh, the art of defending himself and uh, a strong man. Uh, he had everything. He had. I mean, you think about it. This guy grew up in palaces, and you know, if he wanted to work out, he had the best dumbbells you could find in the land of Egypt, right? You know, it would have been that type of thing. He had the best gym he wanted. He's he's you know uh, the the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He has everything available to him. No doubt, very strong man. So he kills this Egyptian, buries him in the sand, considers himself all set. Hey. This is all done. I'm, I'm going to go away. These guys are, um, you know, probably going to be uh, blessed that I protected them. Look at verse 13. When he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, then he said, the other guy, uh, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Uh-oh, somebody was watching, right? So Moses feared and said, surely uh, this thing is known. You know, he probably thought that the, the guy he defended would cover for him, right? Probably, uh, you know, it's it's either uh, this guy that he delivered yesterday, um, 
and uh, he didn't, or somebody that he didn't think saw him do it. Either way, he didn't expect uh, to hear that coming from this man. No doubt, this was a, a total shock uh, to him, and uh, he, he probably thought uh, you know he could reason with them, but you know the <clears throat> the man he was trying to reason with um, was aware of what happened the day before and throws it right in his face. You know, who makes you better than me is what he says. That 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 type of a mindset, you know, it's it's um, the the one, you know, the one that did the wrong is the one that that says, who made you a judge over me? You guys ever when you were when you were a kid, you're not the boss of me. Right. That's that's what the, the mindset in this guy's heart. You're not the boss of me. Who made you a ruler over us? I just saw you kill somebody. Right. He's like, oh, oh no, I got you. You know, you think you can correct me? Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play my my uh, you know trump card or whatever, and uh, let's see see what you can do with this. And, uh, and it horrifies uh, Moses. You know, when you consider this man, he's a scoffer, he's a fool, and you know he, he instead of uh, you know thanking him, uh, this is all in the assumption it is the man that he saved. Um, that uh, instead of thanking him, you know, he, he, for possibly saving his life. Uh, you know, I am led to believe that, that he might have been actually might have uh, provoked the Egyptian, you know, this guy, you know, instead of saying, hey, thank you for delivering me. Hey, you were the guy that saved me yesterday. He's like, hey, dude, dude, and he's, you know, giving him something to wipe his nose up because he just punched a dude in his face. Right. He struck him. And uh, and he, he's he's uh, instead of that, you know, what I am led to believe is that this, this man might have even provoked the Egyptian the day before. And the Egyptian had had enough and just attacked him. I don't know. But it says that he was being beaten. Was he just being beaten? Or this guy, the, the way he uh, conducts himself is a scoffer. He's, he's a guy that's going to reject uh, anybody who has any sound doctrine uh, for him. Proverbs 22.10 says, Cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. This man was the one causing the strife, right? We just read that he was the one that did his brother wrong. So as he's being corrected, what does he do? He scoffs. We are told in the scripture, Proverbs uh, shares, that, that this, if the scoffer is cast out, then striving is going to cease. That's, that is so brilliant, right? Guys, if, if we're finding ourselves struggling with a scoffer in our lives, I don't, I don't know if you're a, you oversee a team or... Or whatever you're dealing with something, you got the scoffer. Tell them to pack their bags and go. Striving's going to cease because what they're usually going to do is stir everybody else up, right? They'll do it in a church, they'll do it in a, in a workplace, they'll do it in a family, whatever. Hey, you can leave Thanksgiving dinner. All you're doing is causing strife. Cast out the marker and striving cease. Jesus said uh, in uh, Matthew chapter seven, "Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine." lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Right? You think you're doing something good for somebody, and when you think that you know your precious words, what you're sharing with them or what you're doing for them, and what do they do? They turn back. That's exactly what's happening here. He's trying to stop these guys from hurting themselves, and what does he do? He turns and attacks Moses. So if, if we find ourselves in a situation like that, Guys, pray for them and, and, and either cast them out or, or walk away uh, from that situation because that person is, is not going to hear sound doctrine. If they're not willing to receive what you're trying to tell them, we can't shove it down somebody's throat and make them change. But we just cast out the mocker and striving ceases.
Verse 15, uh, back in Exodus chapter 2, says, When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs uh, to water their flock, uh, their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to uh, Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Uh, what is it that uh, you have, uh, what is, why is it that you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Uh, so this is, this is a interesting thing. So Pharaoh heard about this and Moses goes running off and he fled to the land of, of Midian. And he sat down by a well, smart place to be, right? As he's fleeing, no doubt, he doesn't have water on him, right? He's going to a place where somebody's eventually going to come and draw water and he can ask for water. Uh, that's what we can probably, uh, you know, come to a, 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 um, a conclusion of that's why he would be there, that it would be a place where he could be provided for. So as he's there, uh, he's met by um, the seven daughters of a priest of Midian, uh, Ruel, and uh, this is an interesting man. And, you know, he's he's a, um, a a priest, and and we'll look into him. His name means friend of God. So uh, he's a man with seven daughters. I'm a man with three daughters, right? And uh, this man has seven daughters, and for some reason he'd send all seven of them to get water at the same time. So he sends them, and uh, you know they uh, apparently. I'm assuming, based on what we read here, that he doesn't have any sons to, to bear bear that burden, and um, uh, so uh, he's he sent the no doubt these are these are rugged ladies. They're 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 used to doing this work. Unfortunately, when they're trying to do their work, they have to deal with the shepherds that'll come and kick them out, overpower them, right? And uh, and uh, the shepherds weren't expecting somebody to be stepping up for them. So as you know, they think that they've they've shoot them off, and here comes Moses. Moses steps in, takes care of the situation, helps them get their water, and they return to Ruel uh, uh, earlier. And uh, they uh, they are, are coming home, and uh, you know their dad is is trying to figure out what's happening here. Now their dad, we'll see later, is called uh, by the name of Jethro, and uh, when we get in uh, to chapter three, we'll even see that. So uh, we you know this uh, whatever name Jethro might be a. a uh, a family name that's passed around or uh, something uh, like a tribal name or whatever, but they're the same person. They're the same man. Ruel and Jethro are the same uh, person. And I love his response. His response in our day would be like, what are you doing? Right? There's seven ladies and you guys have to do this. And some guy stepped up and delivered you and you just let him walk away. What are you doing? Go get him. Go tell him we're going to feed him. Right? And, uh, and, and that's what he tells him. He tells him to, to, to go uh, go get Moses. You know, uh, there's one thing we know about this man is that he's a wise man. When he sees, wait a minute, this guy was there and he was willing to step up and defend my daughters and he's, he cared about them enough to give them some water. Moses, I, I bet, thought of it this way too. Like, hey, if I take care of these people, maybe they'll actually invite me for a meal too. 
You know, it worked out pretty well, um, you know, when you start looking into into this a little bit here. So uh, his dad wants them to go get go get Moses, and um, so they do, and, and they call, and he says, call him, let's eat bread. And it doesn't say that, but they do go out and get him because if you look at verse, look at verse 21, it says, then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave uh, Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses, and she bore him a son and called his name Gershom. For he said, I have uh, been a stranger in a foreign land. So uh, Moses, going from being a prince and being served uh, after running out and going to the land of Midian, uh, is now content. You know, he doesn't need to be served anymore. He's now content to serve under his, uh, his serve his father-in-law and uh, to to tend. We'll see uh, tend his sheep is what we'll get to here pretty soon. So uh, now he's serving. He's taking care of sheep and, and he's content with it. And it's uh, you know a contentment with living with this man. And what we'll see uh, as we as we look into uh, Jethro a little bit more as as we study through is that he's a he's a, a good man and he's a smart man. And he's a good father-in-law to Moses. And uh, in Exodus chapter 18, he actually gives Moses uh, some great fatherly advice. And because Moses is just getting bombarded with people coming up and literally just whining in front of him. They're bringing up legal matter and this person did this wrong. And Moses is just getting weary. And Jethro comes up and respectfully tells him, hey, you're going to wear yourself out. Why don't you delegate some people under you? Very, very wise and godly um, a counsel. And uh, so this was a man that, that was easy to serve under and uh, that loved uh, Moses also. So it was a pretty good, um, uh, you know, team that they had made. So uh, he ends up staying there for 40 years. So some time had passed. And Acts chapter 7, verse 30 says that it's 40 years that he stayed in Midian. He was there for 40 years. So 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian. Moses is now 80 years old. And uh, he was given Zipporah, his wife, and uh, he uh, has a first son, and uh, he names his son Stranger there. That's what Gershon means, because he was a stranger in the land in which he was. So when we see coming into um, a verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, there's a time span. So the, the overall time that he spent in Midian was 40 years. So, uh, you know, from the time this happened and he has his first son, I don't think he would, he would have quite been... 80 years old at that point, but from the time that he started, uh, that he that he was in Midian and uh, till the Lord calls him in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, that's 40 years that's covered. So when we're reading the scripture, sometimes it might seem like, oh, the next day and, and those things. Sometimes it's years. So, it, so just beware, be aware that, that it was actually 40 years that he was in Midian. Verse 23 of Exodus uh, 2 says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. You know, it's not that God wasn't aware or didn't care had what had happened before. Uh, this remembering here, we'll look at it here in a few minutes, um, uh, is is more turning his active attention toward them. 
Uh, so if you're, if you're, it's not like God sitting there like, oh, hey, I forgot all about these two million people here that are called by my name. You know, that's, that's not the case at all. But this is rather uh, showing us that he's turning his active attention toward exactly what's happening in their lives, that together they're groaning, together they're being oppressed. And now God is going to address that. Now, this isn't a surprise to God. God told them that this was going to happen. Remember, we, we studied this in Genesis 15, and it should come up here, verses 13 and 14 of Genesis 15 say, Then he, God, said to Abraham, uh, to Abram at that time, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, and also... The nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So we'll see the judgment of Egypt unfold throughout our, our study in Exodus. We'll see the people come out with great possessions, just as God said. And we'll also see God blessing Israel as they as they leave and protecting them. So uh, none of this was a shock to the Lord. It wasn't that he needed to be reminded that somebody, the one person screamed out and that finally got loud enough for God to hear. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, we, we may, uh, encounter people that don't have a proper understanding that the Lord does hear our prayers, the quiet ones that are in our, our prayer closet, right? That are on our floor, on our bed by ourselves, sometimes whispered. God hears those prayers. I love how, how the scripture says that prayers are, are, are an aroma poured out in, in front of the Lord. That's, that's an amazing thing. That they come to the Lord. Guys, You, we might be overwhelmed thinking there's so many people, millions and millions of people praying to God. Why would he hear this prayer from me? God is everywhere at all times. He's omnipresent and he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. You put those three things together and we have a God that is ever-present and can meet every need that we have. And he often prepares to meet those before we even ask. But then we learn the lesson that as we ask, God blesses us, and then we say, oh, wait, so I need to go to the Lord. He's going to be faithful to, to meet my needs. So it's not that these uh, these uh, that these people finally cried out enough that God heard them. It's just that now he's turning his active attention toward them in his perfect timing. So God, God had heard their cries and, and worked on their behalf, and he does the same for us. We just need to trust him and cry out to him. And it's not because they are good people. It's not because they were just perfect. Not because we're perfect. It's because God is good. It's because of His His promises that He makes to us. So if we feel like, hey, you know, I've no, I've done this much bad. There's no way God's going to listen to me. No, God. Remember, we were studying um, a Sunday night that 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 broken and contrite heart is what God is very precious in front of in the eyes of the Lord. He doesn't care about offerings being made to him, sacrifices, any of that. He want the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart crying out to him is is what will please him, what will what will um, you know move him to uh, to restore, right? That's uh, he just wants us just to just to cry out to him. That's our God. He's an amazing, amazing God that loves us very much, and for us. Uh, you know, for them, it was the covenant he had with their fathers. For us, it's the covenant we have, the new covenant in Christ, that when we cry out in the name of Jesus uh, and as as believers, then the Lord hears us. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending a flock uh, of Jethro, uh, his father-in-law. Now this is 80-year-old Moses, the priest of Midian. 
and he led the flock uh, to the back of the desert and uh, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So Jethro's name is now introduced. We talked about him before. Uh, Moses is is tending this this flock. He's still serving him, um, and uh, like I said, he's an easy uh, man for, to serve because he's such a, a good guy that, that took care of him. So uh, this Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai, you know, where Moses will, uh, in Exodus 20, receive the Ten Commandments. So if you're trying to put this into perspective of where uh, where this is all happening, it says that it happened in the desert. And, uh, you know, God did very powerful things in a dry desert. And I was blessed uh, to listen to, uh, I think it was today, I was just listening to this um, uh, and uh, listening to Joe Foch teach on this. And, and he said, God will move, and this isn't exactly what he said, but God will move and speak powerfully to uh, Israel in the desert. We'll see it. And there's an encouragement there that if we find ourselves, uh, you know, after a uh, you know, plentiful season, uh, that, that uh, ask God to speak if we find ourselves in that desert place. You guys ever been in a spot where you're like, I just feel spiritually dry? That's when we pour our hearts out to the Lord. And that's often when he's going to speak and move powerfully in our lives. Look what happens here. I mean, Moses had never heard the voice of the Lord, and we're going to get into that. And we're going to see what God puts in motion as he's out in the desert tending sheep. All the way from the riches of being uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, now he's tending sheep in the backside of the desert. You know, look what God is, is preparing him for. You know, you, you might remember in Ezekiel that there are dry bones that were brought to life at the command of God, right? That, that God, that, that, that command that, that God gave Ezekiel to speak to the bones and, and those bones were, you know, there's, there's not, there's no situation as long as we have breath in our lungs that, that we can say that God will not take me back. I'm too far gone. I'm dead spiritually. I'm dry bones in a desert. Guess what? <laughs> you see, I love that God has, has put these things in the scriptures for us, right? Because we can get to that point of being in the desert and uh, being, just feeling like we're dead with dry bones and God speaks life into those through his word. You know, he's, he's, this is the God we serve is amazing. Verse uh, two it says, and the angel of the Lord, capital A, appeared to him in a flame of fire uh, from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see uh, this great sight why the bush does not burn. So uh, this burning bush is not being consumed. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him with that capital A. So this is uh, telling of a theophany, an appearance of God uh, uh, that is visible to men. Um, I know I, I often see that, and you know, some people will disagree. Uh, is this Christ speaking to him or not? Um, or is it, is it God the Father? Is it God the Holy Spirit? When I see capital A, and when you see capital A throughout the Old Testament, uh, you'll see that, and often it points right to Jesus Christ. So either way, this is God uh, in a the form of a fire in a bush that is not being uh, consumed. So the fire representing God's presence, and God used it to um, uh, represent an image of his holiness. Now, fire, we know, will uh, can be used for purifying and refining. And uh, so it's not, uh, it's not uh, something that... Uh, we would uh, be all that shocked to know that God would use something like that because he likes to 
refine us. He likes to purify us. So um, there's a, a bush that's burning, and Moses is what I like here in verse 3. is I chuckled when I read this, and I'm studying through it, because Moses is given the commentary on his own thought process here. And he says, I will now turn aside and, and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn, right? It's just To me, it's a funny little commentary to himself. I will now turn aside. You know, right? And and so that, but he's telling us what he thought in his mind. And, and he said, you know, that's why he turned aside. And um, Acts chapter 7, verse 31 says that Moses marveled at this sight. So when he's marveling at this sight, uh, he had to go check it out. So verse 4, Exodus 2, Exodus 3, sorry. Verse 4 says, so when uh, the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw, uh, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. So God was using this burning bush to draw Moses in. And what it says here is that God actually paid attention to Moses, right? That it says that he, uh, that God saw that he turned aside to look. And then God called him by name. Now Moses, as I said, had never heard the voice of the Lord before. And before God had introduced himself here, we see that God told Moses not to draw near. Don't draw near right now, because if he drew near... Moses would have died. God was saving Moses' life. You now Moses was a sinner and God was protecting him because you know sin cannot be in God's presence. So he's stopping him right this hold up right there. You know, where you stand is holy ground. You know, and he says, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Now, it's important to understand the desert, this part of the desert itself was not holy. That was it was just land that, that was there, but holy because the holy God was in that place. You're getting close to the holy God. You need to stop right where you're at. Now, I'm so blessed that the Lord did that. You know, it's it's God's presence that we revere and not places and things. Very important because if you look at the religious, world religious systems, as soon as somebody knows something significant happened, what happens? We're going to build a church right on it, right? Or we're going to do this and it's going to, what are they, what is... The, so you got some people that say, hey, we want to worship there. It becomes an idol. And then you have other people that are serving another idol, money, and they say, this will be a great tourist attraction. And they'll just say, yeah, this was Mount whatever, uh, just because they want people to go there so that they can make money. It's, it's, if, if, we, if we question that, all you got to do is look at mankind. And if there's an opportunity to make money, you know there are going to be people that will do whatever they can to make that money, Right. So I'm so blessed to know that it's not that, that land right there that was holy. It wasn't that plot where God was. He's saying, you're getting close to me. Stop right where you're at. Take your shoes off. You know, those shoes had the dust of, of, of the world there. And, and what he's telling him is this, 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 is, um, this place is holy. And, and you know, uh, God didn't tell him to create a, a golden uh, bush statue. That's very important also. Because mankind, uh, because we, we are built, whether we uh, you know want to acknowledge it or not, is we are, are created to worship. 
We're created to worship God. If we're not created, if we're not worshiping God, we are worshiping something. Anything other than God, we are we are worshiping an idol, something that is not God, a false god. So it's it, you know God doesn't say, hey, I want you to set up. Uh, you know, you build a, this and everything because what would that be? That would be a stumbling block for him and for for so many others coming after him. So God stops him right there and says, "Don't don't come any further. Take off your sandals right here. We're going to have a meeting." And Moses is being prepared for this. So now God introduces Himself to Moses, and Moses is the vessel He's going to use to deliver Israel from bondage in Egypt. So this is the beginning of a very close and powerful um, relationship between Moses and the Lord. And we it's a blessing to see. We're fortunate that the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to record all of his life for us, that we actually get to see this man from birth, and then somebody else wrote down when he died at the very end of that fifth book, right? So Moses uh, passes, uh, you know, we get to see him uh, from uh, from birth until when he passes away. We're, we get to witness this uh, benchmark moment in his life, and uh, we get to see what's happening here. And, you know, there's a lot for us to learn uh, in, uh, by what God did in Moses' life. And uh, we can look at Moses and learn a lot about Christ. Because Moses, uh, how God uses Moses, we're going to see were pictures of, of what Christ was going to do when he came. And we're going to get into some of those here. We can also learn a lot about ourselves <laughs> just in the next page over, guys. Right. And even by the end of this chapter, we see Moses starting to ask questions. He's talking to a burning bush. Right. But isn't that in our hearts, right? That, that doubt that's in our heart. There's a burning bush that's on fire. You guys ever, you guys ever thrown like uh, uh, an old Christmas tree in the fire? You ever seen a whoosh? It's fun. Um, it's a lot of fun. Oh, my goodness, is that fun. It burns hot. It burns really fast, right? And it's gone. It's incinerated in seconds. And I believe me, 10 seconds. If you take a really dry one, hopefully you didn't have it in your house when it's that dry. But when you take that and you chuck it on the you know, brush fire in the spring, be prepared to back up because it gets hot and bright and everything. So there's a fire burning here, but the bush is not being consumed. And this bush is talking to him. But even though this bush is talking to him, Moses still has some doubt. And he still needs the Lord to address him on a few things. We see here that uh, in verse 6 that Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look upon God. And uh, this is uh, something that we uh, get to witness. And, and Moses was saying this was a powerful thing, that, that he wasn't even able to look up. This was a scary time. And, uh, you know, he's... Um, uh, sharing that with us as the Spirit led him to. Now, verse 5 is the first time the word holy appears in the Bible, uh, which is, is significant. You know, when you, when you consider holy and fire, that refining um, and the, the purifying effect, and when you consider the purity of the Lord. Now, it's such a powerful experience that it inspired Moses as he wrote a song in Exodus 15, Verse 11, he says, Who is like you, O God, among the gods? Who is like you? Glory, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Glorious in holiness, that God is pure, that he's holy, he's sinless. Now this is happening at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and he's told that he can't touch. And 
God speaks uh, to the need for a man at one point to not touch him. He says, don't, don't approach me. Uh, right now, you know, we can't approach him in our self, uh, in our sinfulness. And, uh, you know, this is a place where the glory of the Lord uh, dwelled. So that is a picture of a need for us to be purified that we might be able to approach God. Right. So when you look at this, there's God stopping Moses. This is holy ground. You can only go so far. You remember in the temple, the a veil that's said to be 18 inches thick that separated where the priests would give the, the, the common sacrifices. And one day a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. One priest, the high priest, could go in and offer a spotless lamb for the sins of Israel one day a year. But that, was, there was, that veil was, was representative of the separation between God and man. And that, that we couldn't approach God. We could only go so far. You know, if you look into Hebrews 9 and 10, it explains the need for a better sacrifice than the foreshadowing of the, the sacrifices of animals of the Old Testament. There had to be a greater sacrifice offered because Hebrews 10 tells us that the blood of bulls and goats was not uh, sufficient. And if it was, then, then we wouldn't have needed Christ, but we did need him. They were just to tell. So speaking of Hebrews 10, uh, verses 12 through 14 say, uh, speaking uh, that we would be able to approach God someday. And how would we be able to? Hebrews 10 uh, verses 12 uh, through 14 say, But this man, capital M, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified by one offering. I was brought up in a, um, a belief system. I grew up Catholic and uh, I was told, I don't know, I, I can't remember who, but I would be told several times like, oh, when you sin, Jesus is on the cross still. So when you sin, you're, you, you know, uh, he, he's still suffering on the cross. Jesus is not on the cross anymore. You know, the, if somebody has, you know, the, it's a symbol. I mean, you can look at that symbol and go, oh, Somebody was act. I, I I remember. I think I was reading a book, and somebody said, "Hey, that little guy that's on the on the cross there." They had no idea who Jesus was. But then, when we look at verses like what we just read here, and understand why he what he did, verse fourteen says, "By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, being set apart to God." One offering. There didn't have to be that constant offering. Hebrews ten verses nineteen through twenty two say, "Therefore, brethren." having boldness to enter the holiest uh, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Remember, God told told um, Moses not to draw near at that time. It wasn't time yet. Then when the perfect sacrifice was made, that God in the flesh came as a man, and when he sent his only son to die for us, then that way was made, and now we can draw near, right? But first, first time was do not draw near. Stop right where you're at. And then God, when he made the way for us, then now we can draw near. 
Verse, verse 22 of Hebrews says, let us draw near with a true heart. Then we can come to God because of what Christ has done. Oh, I love this stuff. God is so, so good. I know I've said that several times, but if I just have to say it because as we're going through and we're seeing these huge pictures of a need for a Savior, and, and, and when we can look at the Old Testament and see that, I mean, God was just, just getting every, priming everything, right? You know, you got to start an engine, right? You got to prime it. You got to shove the fuel into it, right? You'd know that better than I do. Um, he's a mechanic. Um, but, you know, you got to, you got to, it has to have that engine, that, that, that fuel in that engine to get it fired up. As soon as that spark happens, boom, something big happens, right? God is prime, was priming everything. That whole Old Testament's pointing to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is all through the Old Testament. There are pictures of him all through the Old Testament that points right to Jesus. Verse 7, Exodus 3. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I have known their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So the Lord starts in verse 7 saying that he had seen the oppression, he had heard the cry, and he knew their sorrows. Seen, uh, he, had, he had seen, heard, and knew. It's the same for us. He heard the cry. These guys, that, that, but remember, they had such a wicked man that was oppressing them and, and that heard the cries of the, the parents that had lost their children. And he had seen them being beaten. And he knew everything that was happening. And, and this, what it says is that so he moved on their behalf and he came down to deliver them. Do you guys see the picture being painted? So I have come down to deliver them out of their bondage. So God moved by, by their cry, the cries of his people and their helplessness and hopelessness. Picture of, of Christ coming to deliver us from our bondage and from the things that uh, we, we see all through the Bible. Uh, of, of, as I said, that, that, that Christ was being pictured in what was happening here. It's pointing to the need for a Savior who we know as Jesus coming to save us. Remember John, when he saw John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he turned the attention of his disciples to everybody. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Those sins are the things that burden us, right? We've talked about this before. Egypt was a very cruel master to Israel. Sin is much more cruel to our, our lives, our hearts, to the families around our families and friends around us that are affected by our sin, that cruel master of sin, God has come to conquer that sin and deliver us and give us freedom from that bondage. The Lord is our ever ever present help in a time of need, mighty to save us. You know, God said that uh, you know said to, that He came to bring them 
um, uh, to deliver them and, and that he would bring them up to a land that was good and large, flowing with uh, milk and honey, to live in God's provision and freedom in him, you know, to give them that, that land that they would be provided for. And uh, that's a, a wonderful place rather than what they're experiencing now. They had that in the land of Goshen, and they were, they were greatly multiplying and everything, um, and, and now they're just dealing with pain and affliction and murder. And uh, God had heard that and now was, had come to, to deliver them. You know, they, they were going to soon at one point when he's delivered them, they were going to experience the riches of his goodness. And for us that live in Christ, we can you know, experience that freedom in Christ, the riches of his goodness and his grace. Amen. So after all these things, um, you know, they, you know, <laughs> this is, you know, as you, as you look, you know, God, Moses is hearing all these things that God has heard these things. He's going to do those. No doubt that's singing to Moses's heart, right? And Moses is getting excited. He's hearing, oh, God is here and he's come and he's going to deliver them and uh, he's going to take care of everything. And, uh, and now, um, you know, I think this is where things might have been starting to get uncomfortable for Moses uh, because uh, now God is saying that uh, he wants to use him. And, uh, you know, now God is saying that he, he's going to uh, use him not only to, uh, to help Israel but to confront Pharaoh. Uh, you know, I think he might have been content right where he was at, right? It's, it literally says that he was content being in Midian, feeding his father-in-law's, uh, you know, uh, lambs and uh, the sheep and just taking care of them. And he had, he had that contentment right there. But God had something greater for him. And, uh, you know, he, uh, God had big work for him, big work. And um, verse 10 says, you know, come now. Therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Wow. <laughs> I thought I was just walking with some sheep in the back of the desert. And, you know, do, 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 do. I see this light over here. So I go to check it out. It gets over there. And now he's being told that it's, uh, you know, the God of uh, his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, talking to him. And uh, that he's going to ask him to do something that's intimidating to go speak to Pharaoh. And uh, so he's going to have to go do that. And uh, look at look, look at the first word of verse 11. But, right? <laughs> but Moses said to God. It doesn't say, and Moses said to God. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I? <laughs> right? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should uh, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? There's that. There's that. You guys know I love these words of contrast, right? And here's a contrast right here. But, you know, Moses immediately, the first thing he asks, who am I? <laughs> who am I? You're like, you know, when, uh, you know, when it's God leading us to do something, uh, we just need to trust and obey him to do it. You know, when we know that the Lord is speaking to us through his word, through uh, circumstances that are undeniable, and when we start hearing from brothers and sisters that are surrounding us saying, hey, the Lord spoke to me. Have you ever prayed about doing this or that? Have you, and, and you're like, da, da, la, 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 right? You're plugging your ears. I don't even want to hear it, right? It's that same, that we can have that same mindset in our lives. Don't get me wrong. It is good to have humility of heart and say, well, who am I? Who am I that God would use me? There, that, there, this is two things. This isn't what's happening with Moses, and we're going to see that uh, a little bit more uh, when we get into here. And when we get into chapter four, it's full-fledged. Moses is like, yeah, but, and God's like, well, this, yeah, but, 
and and it becomes uh, you know something where God finally just says, "All right, enough." And so that that what we see here isn't Moses saying, "Oh, well, why would you choose me?" He's like, "No, who am I? You know, you, you don't want me, God." And God is saying, "You are the one I am going to use." Verse twelve. So he said, "I uh, will certainly be with you." Now that's that's quite a a thing. Here, so, you know, Moses uh, said to God, "Who am I that I should go uh, to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt?" Fair enough, you know, that's quite intimidating, right? Um, it would, you know, no doubt be scary to somebody who's just been shepherding a flock uh, by himself and 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 taking care of things and everything. It's quite a promotion here, and with that that um, overwhelming, what it could be. Uh, mission that's being uh, placed in front of him, uh, God is seeing the need to encourage him here. And in verse 12, it says, so he said, I will certainly be with you. There's no more encouragement that we ever need as Christians. Believe me, with a believing heart, that's the only encouragement we need to hear from God is that I will be with you. That's it. I will be with you. I mean, there's there's nothing else that we actually need to hear. We might convince ourselves we need to hear this, see that, you know, the fleece being wet or dry and the water being wet or dry, all those things. But if God has told us, I want you to do that and I will be with you, don't even bother with the fleece. You know, when we know that God has spoken to us, I will be with you. And he says this, and this shall be a sign to you that, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You know, God says here, uh, he doesn't say not if you have been brought, uh, you have brought these people up, but when you shall serve God on this mountain. So God is saying to him, when you look back after all this happens, remember that me, God, uh, uh, you know, said that it would happen. You know, he, he knows all things, you know, things past and present. And when he says something's going to take place, we can place our complete trust, a hundred percent, everything we have in the word of God, everything. God's word will never lead us, never, never once lead us astray, ever. God would never do that. He's a perfect father. You know, remember, remember when uh, there was the explanation, Jesus is saying, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, just think about God, right? And how good to give, you know, God's not going to give us something wicked. He's not, he gives us his perfect word. We can trust in his word. When God has led us to do something and we're being obedient to his word, He's going to fulfill what it is. And we can put our 100% full faith in it, especially, I was going to say, even if we can't see, especially when we can't see, because that's what faith is when we can't see. When the Lord just speaks it, we have to go, I know God is telling me this. I don't know what that is. That might be something that's speaking to us right now. I feel like, you know, I, I know God has been telling me this, calling me away from this, calling me into this, whatever it is. Trust in what he's saying. God told Moses it was going to bring him right back there. And he did. When he, when he brings them back there, God gave them the Ten Commandments there. And God, that's where God told them how to, how to walk with him and have good relationships between one another. Four of the commandments had to do with uh, man's relationship with God. Six, man's relationship with man. Right? So there was going to be another significant thing that happened there. And God said, you'll come back here and you'll worship me in this area. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, 
the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, um, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent me to you. You know, God's response of I am who I am. Isaiah 44, verse 6, the Lord speaking, he says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. He is. I am. Uh, it means I exist. You know, when you, when you look at it, he's just saying, who do I tell him is, is sending me? I exist. You know, that's a big question, especially in today's culture, isn't it? Is there a God? You know, we, we know as believers, we know from the scriptures that there is a God. And we know that he's a loving God and that he wants to have a relationship with everybody. He wants the, the lost to be saved. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? But for what First Peter tells us, God's not willing that anybody should perish. He wants us to come to eternal life, have a relationship with him. So he tells them, when they're asking who it is, just say, I am. I am sent you. You know, his presence, you know, when we consider the, the, his name, I exist, I am, his presence isn't contingent upon anyone or any anyone or anything else. You know, God is self-sufficient. Uh, He's the self-sufficient one. He doesn't need anything else to, to fuel a fire, to keep him alive or anything. He exists. That's it. That's his name. I exist. I am. I'm here. I am. So uh, he will ever be. He's eternally constant. So God told Moses to tell the children of Israel that I am or I exist uh, speaks to them and that uh, he was sent by him. You know, the one that exists, you know, the um, that statement, I am very powerful statement. You know, very holy and revered statement in Israel um, in, in the Old Testament and even in G Jesus' day. Jesus himself made the statement, I am, in John chapter 8. The religious leaders were asking him, basically, who do you think you are? You know, They had accused him of being a half-breed and demon-possessed, and Jesus told them that wasn't the case. But that they dishonored him, and uh, that he uh, then claimed to be the giver of life by claiming that... Uh, that those who keep his words will never see death. And they didn't care for that, and they, they then accuse him of blasphemy. And Jesus said that if he says that he doesn't know God, he would be a liar like them. So not a great conversation he's having in John chapter 8, right? We studied through that together. And he told them that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. And they're like, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? What are you talking about? Jesus' response to them was, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I exist. Before Abraham was, uh, he says, I am. And they picked up stones uh, to kill him, and he went away. John chapter 10, verses 30 through 33 say, I and my Jesus speaking, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus said to them, Many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered and said, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. He made so many claims that he was God in the flesh. When he said in John chapter 8, 
I am, that was the ultimate I, I am God. And they wanted to kill him for it. We studied through John, and he made the seven major I am statements, didn't he? He said, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. When he said, uh, I am, he's making the boldest claim anybody could ever make. And only he was qualified to make it. There are a lot of people, quacks. You guys, you guys have heard of that. I think he's over in, um, in Kenya. The, the cult leader over there, over 300 people he convinced to starve themselves to death in the name of Christ. Yeah. People, false messiahs, are all have, have risen, and they want to mock what Jesus did. They want to be him. He was the only one that could back up what he said. And how did he do it? He said, when, when I have raised from the dead, he, he conquered sin and death. And he, he told them, you know what? You're going to find all this out. After I've been killed, you can kill me, and three days later, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise up again. He's the only one that could do that. He's not laying in a tomb. He's the only one that could make that claim. So when he said "I am," he's making that boldest statement, and that he was the eternal God incarnate, you know, the constant and self-sufficient Almighty One, the Creator that had taken on flesh. John one says, "In the beginning was the Word." The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the uh, full of grace and truth. Right. That God, that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. So with that statement, I am was a very powerful one. So this is the first time we see it. But then it, when it goes through uh, the Old Testament and when Israel hears that, uh, look how God ministers to Moses right here. Verse 15, moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done in Egypt. I have, uh, And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and to the Hittites and to the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. So God told, Ab uh, uh, excuse me, God told Moses exactly what to say. Moses speaking forth the word of God. Uh, which he'll do uh, here. We'll see uh, unfolding. And uh, he tells them, uh, he tells Moses here what the response of Israel is going to be. And he instructs, instructs the gathering of the elders together and to tell them and uh, exactly what God had said, explain those things to him. And God tells them that they will heed your voice. So God promised uh, success in his mission and that Israel would follow Moses uh, Moses was being called to do as he was commanded by the Lord to trust in him. Verse 18. Then they will heed your voice. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. 
But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, nor, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give the, this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. Remember Genesis 15, what God told Abraham, right? But every, verse 22, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and daughters and you shall plunder. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. So God assures Moses that Israel will fall in line and follow his lead. So there's this big discussion. Moses is scared. Everything God is just laying everything out in front of him here. Then Moses and the elders would need to go to Pharaoh and ask to go worship God in the in the wilderness. And God knew that Pharaoh wouldn't uh, let them do that until God had completed his work. And God told prepared him for all this. Um, and he said that not even a mighty hand and uh, that it had to be God that would have to do this. So uh, verse 20, God told Moses that he would stretch out his hand and strike Egypt. When three things come to mind when I hear that God stretched out his hand when I consider uh, him doing that. First thing is creation. That, that God created, scriptures say that he created uh, everything in existence, in the, that it all fits in the palm of his hand, that he stretched out his hand uh, and creation uh, happened. That's, a, that's an amazing thing to consider. Stretching out his hand in judgment as we see here. You know, God stretching out his hand to create, stretching out his hand to judge, stretching out his hand in salvation. Christ's hand stretched out on the cross for us. You know, God's hand being stretched is a, is a powerful thing. So when God said he's going to stretch out his hand, that's a, that's a, he's saying something very significant. So God says that after his judgment and wrath, Egypt will, uh, 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 and wrath on Egypt, uh, you know, what they, uh, for what they did to Israel, then Pharaoh will let them go and God will provide for them through the hands of Egypt. They'd have silver, gold, and clothing, right? And just as he told Abraham way before in Genesis 15 that they would leave as it, the, the scripture that we read, uh, that they wouldn't leave empty-handed, right? You know, things that they needed for provision would be uh, provided. So uh, Moses, we see in Moses this next chapter that we've, we've studied in Moses' life. Uh, at, we see him being a deliverer. He delivered his fellow Hebrew from uh, being beaten. Uh, the Midianite women, uh, that one of them ended up becoming his wife, delivered them from the shepherds, and we see here that God is, is preparing him to be used as a deliverer for the nation of Israel from Egypt. So pretty cool to watch this all unfolding, isn't it? It's kind of you know like peeling the onion back and seeing uh, everything else uh, that's, that's going to happen. So uh, let's pray. Father, we are, are blessed to, to know that you are mighty and that you are in control of everything. And God, that you are worthy of our trust that we can trust you to, uh, to follow you and, and uh, to, to trust your word and, and let it guide our lives. Help us, Lord, not to fight with you, not to question you, but just to be obedient and follow you and, and know how you are going to bless us and experience those blessings that you have for us, the victories we'll have uh, over sin in this life as we follow you. God, thank you for the pictures of deliverance here that point to 
what the deliverance we experience from being delivered from sin. We are, are excited and look forward to, uh, unless you come get us before then, we look forward to uh, studying together again. And we pray that you protect us and uh, keep us until we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.